was one in resurrection. Um, but, you know, it's, it's hard on a Sunday morning service because you don't want to overlook and even um, bypass the crucifixion and move on to resurrection because in doing that, to, in some sense, you can't truly value the resurrection without understanding the price that was paid and the reason for that. Um, so basically, we're going to kind of do it in two parts. Um, but we just want to welcome anybody that's here for the first time. Um, my name's Bethany. This is my husband, Daryl, that um, just <laughs> led worship, and our busy son with his busy friends. <laughs> um, but we just want to welcome you here today. There's a schedule of um, the times of prayer that we have. But we're just going to take a moment to receive tithes and offerings um, God, as we are reminded today of um, the sacrifice that you made in giving your son and even um, allowing your son to go to the cross on behalf of humanity and even the example of Jesus of giving all that he had without reservation or reserve. God, we just say, Lord, that we want to live lives in the same and like manner of abandoning all for the sake of the call. And so even today, Father, we say that our giving of our tithes and offerings is an act of worship and an act of surrender, of even saying not our will, but your will be done in a surrender of our resources and our time and our devotion, of our desires, of our affections before you. So, God, we just thank you, Father, that even for the sowing of the seed, Lord, that it would be multiplied for the advancement of your kingdom, Lord, in this region, but also for individuals that sow. God, we just ask for a great harvest, Lord, even a reaping spiritually in their lives, Lord, of revelation, understanding, impartation from your spirit because of obedience, Father. We worship you. If you want to pass that, and then Jordan will grab it in the back. Um, so as most of you know, um, the story of the resurrection, if you've studied all of the Gospels comparatively, is actually interesting because some of the stories that may be found in one of the Gospel or two of the Gospel may not be found in other Gospels. So some, there are some stories in the Gospels that are actually specific to that Gospel and specific to that writer. Um, but what we find with the crucifixion and the resurrection is that all four Gospels you give it time and attention and detail. But um, I don't know how much we'll go in depth today, but if, if you do look at them all comparatively, they all, to some degree, they emphasize different points or uh, they give even more detail concerning those points. Um, so we're going to try to give time and attention to that. But really kind of where I want to start is we're going to show a short clip, um, and it's regarding the crucifixion. Um, but really when it comes to our culture and the day and age in which we live, there's obviously a lot of de debate surrounding different faiths, different religions, even different gods, and kind of where they stand on the map. But the thing that, as we're looking at the personhood of Jesus Christ today, what I want us to be reminded of first and foremost is that we are a part of the only faith on the earth, that the God that we worship has done something for us. Every other faith, if you look at Mohammed, if you, a Buddha, if you look at it across the board, the question really even to those followers is, what has your God done for you? Like meaning, he's, it, there's a call for allegiance, there's a call for devotion, there's even a call for sacrifice. But we are actually the only faith upon the earth where our Savior gave his life on our behalf. That he initiated the process of saying, I love you so much, I will give my life for you. Whereas the other ones actually call for devotion and even call for sacrifice, but there is absolutely nothing, nothing that that God or the leader of their religion has, has done on their behalf for them. 
It's really a, a provoking and even an astonishing fact when you think about it, that ultimately our, the whole premise for our faith doesn't come down to what we've done or even how we relate in that sense, but it comes down to what has been done for us and then simply responding to that. And really what that speaks, number one, is that it speaks love. I mean, that there, the, the great extravagant love of Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it's a declaration of love, of saying, I'm not calling you to allegiance, and I'm not calling you to obedience without I myself first leading the way in saying, I'll lay down my life for you. I mean, it's truly profound, but then second to that, he is the only God, and I, I, when I say God, I'm saying, like, because obviously Mohammed and Buddha and all of these other religions that there is actually no grave to his testament. The rest of them, there is a grave to their testament. You can go to a place where their bones live in that place. You can go to a place where the great prophet or the initiator of that faith actually has been uh, buried, and there's a, a commemoration of their, their life and their death in a place, but you cannot find a grave where Jesus rests because he is the only one that rose from the grave. I mean, it's profound on many levels when you actually compare um, the lordship of Jesus Christ and what has been won for us. And I will say this, I personally think that the resurrection and the crucifixion is one of the hardest things to preach because to give articulation and to give language to, number one, the unbelievable agony and cost and sacrifice that Jesus went through. But then also for our finite mind to even understand, but also then to discuss resurrection. I think all of those things, it's very, very hard, number one, in our human capacity and limitations to define and articulate it. Um, and I think also, like, when we read the scripture, I, I don't know how many of you have been raised in the church, but I know for me, being raised in the church, I can remember a whole segment of my life that although I was following Jesus, Going to church on Easter, my heart was not struck with awe and wonder. Really, it wasn't. It was, I think in some ways, it was almost taken for granted. Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, of course I know that. And don't we live every day because he died? There, there's almost like a taking for granted, and it almost becomes common knowledge, rather than it striking a chord of awe and wonder and reverence and thanksgiving. And even the, a, 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 a place where we feel indebted of I want to love you in return. That it provokes a response from the heart of, heart of his people. Um, but saying that, um, for those of you, I mean, my son, you've probably heard me share, he's actually been like really into uh, these documentary films on the birth of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus. And I actually wish I could show the one on the crucifixion today, but we're not able to with, the, with this specific program um, but the long and the short of it is watching this over and over and over, um, this crucifixion segment and the, this commentator going through it. Um, I've been like hearing it and going, and so today actually before we move on to resurrection, one of the things that I just want to review for everybody is even before the actual crucifixion, which when you, when you listen to commentators and when you listen to theologians and researchers, the amount of physical agony that was endured was completely number one inhumane but the other thing too is research even shows like it was almost like utterly unnecessary like to torture a human being to that degree but I'm going to be honest with you I personally feel as though and even from watching different commentaries and things that beyond the physical pain even before the crucifixion began 
when you're reading even the story, I mean, this is the most profound thing. Actually, for those of you, one of the places that I'm going to probably reference the most out of all of the Gospels is actually out of Luke. Um, and in Luke 23 is actually where you find that Jesus is brought before Pilate. And then basically Pilate sends him to Herod, kind of like, okay, you take him and you decide what to do with him. And then Herod sends him back. It was almost like even the, the governors and the rulers of the land did not want their hand in this. And to me, I think it even speaks of the fact of the knowledge, like there was an awareness of the divine. Like that it, beyond the, the humanity and beyond um, even the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish people calling for his crucifixion, there was a place where they didn't want their hands on it. But the most profound thing to me is basically the, Pilate presents before them. He basically says, I can find no fault in this man. He's declaring his innocence. And, you know, I said to Daryl, I said, I think the most tragic thing of the cross is never has there been a more just man that walked the earth. Never has there been a more pure, undefiled, every motive is out of love, out of kindness, compassion for humanity. I mean, there's never been the, the face of perfection presented upon the earth. But the, the irony of it is also there has never been the execution of such cruelty and punishment and absolutely, completely unjust uh, crucifixion taking place. And so the irony of, of, of seeing both of that embodied in one man, of the picture of pure perfection, but also the picture of pure betrayal and absolute torment. But it's interesting because Pilate basically says, um, and you'll find in, in chapter 23 is the, kind of this storyline, where he basically says, I can find no fault in this man. And so because of it being the time of Passover, he actually presents before the Jewish people Barabbas, who was known as a murderer. He's a murderer. So that means like you and me and our children would be harmed if he's released. I mean, he does harm to humanity. So he places before the people Barabbas and Jesus Christ, the king of the Jews. And he basically says, you can choose between them who will be released to you. And they choose Barabbas to be released. Their choice is release to us a murderer and basically and knowing that he's fully innocent, crucify an innocent man. And in that process, he actually asks for water to be brought for him. And he washes his hands. And he says, my hands are clean in this matter. Let, obviously, there's the fear of the Lord. I mean, do I think that his hands are clean? <laughs> you know, obviously that's for God to judge. But to be a participant in that and even allow for that ruling. So he asks for the washing of his hands. And how frightening is this? The crowd begins to chant, crucify him, crucify him. But they actually, the acknowledgement, I mean, this is the Jewish people, the acknowledgement, they say, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Hmm. How frightening is that, basically to say, we will take responsibility. Let his blood be upon us. And all of you know, Jerusalem was utterly abolished and destroyed 70 years later. It was obliviated 70 years later. And it's just unbelievable to see the, the pride and the arrogance and, and even, I think, even the mocking of who Jesus is. Absolute. I know, like, when I watch, I'm sure all of you have seen the Passion of the Christ, um, but even at one point in Scripture it says as far as how they spat upon him. And just the utter, utter mocking of who he is as far as a true king, the king of heaven and the king of earth. Um, but before we move on to kind of Resurrection. Why don't we actually show the clip that we have there? 
the wrong one? Yeah. Which one would you like? Oh, I've done something wrong. Favorites? It's okay. Yeah. It's passion. This one? Yep. Oh, okay.
So that's actually the end of that. But as we discussed the, uh, the crucifixion in the beginning segment, I kind of wanted us to kind of take a moment to reflect on the crucifixion and all that that entails and all that that means for us. And when we observe that on Good Friday, I mean, the de- his death upon the cross, it means the forgiveness of our sins. But if it, if it were just to remain there, that he died on our behalf and he took our punishment... But the, the rest of the story and the pinnacle of salvation and even the pinnacle of our faith is the fact that he rose again and what that actually means for us, calling us into life. He doesn't just take our punishment for us, but then he actually says that you do not live in death, but you are called into life because I rose from, from the dead. Um, so what we're going to do is we're actually going to kind of compare the four Gospels and the story of the resurrection. And the most profound thing to me is actually in all four Gospels, what we find is that actually beginning in Matthew, um, verse 28, if you want to turn there. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Um, 28 verse 1 it says now after the sabbath as the first day of the week began to draw to to dawn mary magdalene and the other mary came to the tomb and behold there was a great earthquake for an angel of the lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat sat on it his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he said, Come and see the place where the the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I, I have told you. So they went, and quickly from, they went quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and, and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came, and they held him by the feet and worshipped him. The astounding thing is, is that in many of the accounts throughout the gospel, there's kind of different dimensions of the resurrection that are accounted, and if you compare them, But in every single account of the resurrection, it's made note of that Mary Magdalene, and and actually, I could read it to you, um, in some some places it actually says Mary and and the mother of Jesus, and then in other ones it says Mary Magdalene and Johanna. There's always like either reference to a second woman or even possibly two, but it's undeniably in all four Gospels that Mary of, of Magdalene is the first one that was a participant in seeing him. And why this really speaks to us, even concerning the resurrection, and it speaks to every single one of us, um, is that actually in Mark 16, verse 9, this is the reference to Mary Magdalene. Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary of Magdalene, out of whom he cast seven devils. What we have to understand is that this was a woman that was filled with seven devils, that when Jesus walked the earth, She was delivered by the power of Jesus. And now you think about it, out of all people to behold him first. Out of, to have the privilege, the honor, but even the job of announcing his resurrection to others, 
Mary Magdalene is who sees him first. I mean, this trumpets the story of redemption. This speaks of, in our most devastated, lowly, demonized state, that Jesus comes with full redemption to our lives. And it's to the lowest of the low, the weakest of the weak, the most broken of the most broken, those that the world would cast aside. I mean, it speaks utterly to what we value. I mean, it wasn't even one of, it wasn't Peter, it wasn't Paul, it wasn't anybody that actually attributed to the advancement of the gospel. It was no one that we would acclaim was worth anything. It was someone that he found full of seven devils. He delivered her, and then he presented it. She was the first to behold him. I mean, the honor and the privilege of that, and how it, I mean, this right here, even before we move into the story of the resurrection, it so speaks of who the man Christ Jesus is. It speaks of why he came, and it actually speaks of why he rose from the dead, because this even declares over Mary of Magdalene, not only did I forgive your sins, Not only did I deliver you from those seven devils, but I've called you into life. It's not just that I've forgiven your debt. It's not just that, I I mean, that would be enough. To be forgiven would be enough. For our our debt to be canceled and paid, for our history and all of our yuck of our heart to be utterly washed away, that is enough. But then to go beyond that and say, not only did I erase your past, but I call you into a whole new life of victory of triumph. The, the, the resurrection speaks of triumph. And the extraordinary thing about the resurrection, is, and we're going to look at these gospels, is that the, the disciples were utterly disillusioned of thinking, I thought he came to be the king of the Jews. I thought he was the great deliverer of Israel. I thought it's all the ways that we think that Jesus will triumph. So they were left in utter despair. Utter confusion. And it's interesting because then when you go on actually in Luke, which um, Luke 24 is another reference of the resurrection. But when you look in, in Luke 24, you find that they're walking on the road to Emmaus. And basically they're greatly troubled, they're distraught, they're saddened. And it's interesting because Jesus comes along kind of like, what's going on? What's wrong with everyone? Like, why is everybody so? And they basically reference to him. They say, Have you, are you a stranger? To Jerusalem, do you not know what's happened here these last few days? Because that number one, that speaks that all of Jerusalem had witnessed this great scandal. That's why even last week when we were discussing Acts chapter 2, I don't know how many of you were here, but we were discussing Acts chapter 2 last week, and it was basically the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happens, and then Peter stands to preach. But when Peter stands to preach, literally the context that he's preaching is he's charging them with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He is saying you were witnesses and accomplices to the crucifixion of the Messiah. He's charging them. And he's saying blood guilt. And I mean, you think about it, he's speaking to the very crowd that just weeks earlier were saying crucify him, crucify him. His blood be upon our hands. And then Peter stands up weeks later charging them with the death of Jesus, but it's as if in a moment their eyes are open to see. A spirit, and this is what we discussed last week, is even that prophetic spirit, that it wasn't even a new revelation. He was quoting the word of God. He was going through the Psalms. He was going through Joel. He was speaking the word of the Lord and presenting it to him, saying, this is the Messiah whom you have crucified. It says that they were cut to the heart, 
There was great repentance, and 3,000 were added in one day. I mean, that's testimony to the prophetic spirit as it was operating, because the word of God went forth, and it executed that which it, was, it, it has promised and was purposed to accomplish. But the crazy thing is, is what we're looking at right now is what the scene was in Jerusalem just weeks before. Just weeks before. The utter scandal that is just taking place. And I mean, all of this really, what it speaks to, is the hope that we should have really for the cities of the earth, like, like Boston, D.C., New York, L.A. Because if in Jerusalem, the darkest of place that just crucified the Messiah, Jesus, talk about a hostile environment. I remember when I moved here, the Boston Globe like basically interviewed me and wanted to know what we were doing here. And when I explained what we were doing here, he goes, don't you know that this area is very hostile towards your beliefs? Yes, I'm aware. That's actually why I'm here. <laughs> but, I mean, if you want to talk about, yes, Boston and these places are hostile to the kind of Christianity that we ultimately are contending for and embodying. But talk about Jerusalem being hostile to the man Christ Jesus. But yet that is the place where he actually called them to go and tarry there. That was the place of the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that was the place that Peter preached. 3,000 were added in one day and the, and the New Testament church was birthed. Talk about the story of redemption. Those that crucified the Messiah. But this is what we're looking at. is literally just weeks prior and it's Mary of, Mary of Magdalene with seven devils. That he appears to. That she had been, she had been delivered and now not only the declaration to his life, not only are you delivered, but I call you into resurrection life and power. I call you into a place of not just healing, but complete restoration and life restored to you. So the road to Emmaus, basically Jesus comes and he finds them walking on the road to Emmaus. And he says, oh foolish ones, slow, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses, I love this, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. I mean, number one, it's extraordinary that all of scripture reveals Christ. It's extraordinary that from the beginning of the time that even the understanding of the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth was revealed and trumpeted all throughout the, the Old Testament prophets. I mean, centuries before he was ever revealed, his coming was prophesied and spoken of. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would, go, he, that he would have gone further. But they, they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass that as he sat at the table with them, that he took, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. <laughs> and they said to one, one another, did not our heart burn within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those that were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they, and they told about the things that had happened on the road. And, and now he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, 
Why are you troubled? And uh, uh, why do doubts arise in your, in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. This is myself. Handle me and see. For the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he said these things, he showed his hands and his feet. But while they, were, while they still did not believe for joy and marvel, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of boiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures goes on to expound as far as that it was needful for Christ to be, for him to suffer and to rise again from the grave. Um, but really what I actually want to focus on is specifically in all four um, of the Gospels, he basically his parting words to us. Um, and although they're similar in each one of the Gospels, um, in Matthew 28, 19, actually the last thing that he says to them is, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age, he speaks. I mean, the resurrection actually even begins to speak of then conquering. The, the conquering and even victorious power of Jesus Christ, because he says, go as I've commanded you, that go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things. Um, and then in Mark, we, fi- we find that his, these are his last words. He says to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And these, fo- these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. They will take up a, ser- a serpent, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went about preaching everywhere, the, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through, through accompanying signs and wonders. And then the last um, account of the last words that he spoke actually in John is um, in verse 30. Uh, it's John chapter 20, verse 30. And he says, And truly, truly Jesus did, did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that, that he is Jesus the Christ, son of the living God, that you might believe and that you might have life in his name, that he came for the releasing of life. And really what I want us to do is two things. We're actually going to watch a, another clip and we're going to go into a time of really declaration of praise and rejoicing for the resurrection. But I want us to stand to our feet just momentarily And I want us to take a moment, number one, to reflect, but number two, this is really what I want us to do, is that as you've seen today, it is highlighted through the story of Mary of Magdalene, is that the story of the cross and the story of even the resurrection, the motivation of it is love. And I want to pray over us as a company of people, because there's often times that through our journey and through our walk, through hardship, through difficulty... Um, even through just just the grind of sometimes trying to work out your salvation, that we forget that the very, very foundation of what Jesus did was love. We forget his overwhelming... It says in Scripture 
that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's us. It says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That speaks that he was able to endure the cross because you are the joy that's set before him. For the joy that was set before him, that is the reconciliation of himself with mankind. He could endure the cross because of the joy of having you in fellowship and communion. That's extraordinary and powerful. But oftentimes, sometimes in our struggle, even if it's just a struggle to work out our salvation, we forget the simplicity of his love, his overwhelming love for us, that that is what motivates everything that he has done, is because of love. We forget that even like Mary, sometimes we see ourselves as Mary like, like Magdalene. We see all of the brokenness. We see the journey that we're on. We see how far we need to come. We see all of those things in our lives. And we forget that when he looks upon us, that he looks upon us with eyes of redemption, of calling us into total restoration. That ultimately the story of the cross is that he fights for us. And in our everyday life, we have to have that paradigm and that view that he is fighting on our behalf. I mean, even now, it says that he lives, he ever lives to make intercession on behalf of you. That even today, he is at the right hand of God, and it's making intercession on behalf of the saints. That is his heart towards you. And oftentimes we can kind of get tangled into the performance mentality of earning or becoming or all of those things. But at the end of the day, that a broken one like Mary Magdalene, one that he delivered from seven devils, he, he not only left her there, she, he was the, she was the first that he revealed himself to. What an inheritance to give her. I mean, what a portion. To give her. I just want us to even lift our hands before the Lord. God, I just thank you today that the, the overwhelming revelation of the cross, of your resurrection, Father, is that you desire to give to us a, a wealthy, rich inheritance. God, we ask, Lord, even right now, God, that you would change our paradigm. God, that as we relate to you mentally and emotionally, that we would understand you as Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross for the joy of fellowship with each one of us as individuals. God, I ask, Lord, that you would come and even break in with a, a new understanding of your love for us. That you've not only forgiven us and wiped the slate clean, but you have called us into life. That you are the resurrection and the life. Lord, we thank you even for this promise in John. That anyone that believes upon you will have life and life more abundantly. So God, we just even break every agreement with death of almost living in a place of suffering and despair and hardship and, and, and difficulty. And Lord, we ask that you would renew our minds, Lord, to see you as the triumphant Savior, that you conquered death, hell, and the grave. Lord, we thank you that you conquered you. it on our behalf so that we can thank live you. in victory. Lord, I ask, Lord, even now for a greater revelation of sonship, yes. of what it is to be your sons and daughters. 
Lord, we thank you, Father, that death could not hold you, that even sin and the, the chains of hell could not hold you, but it speaks of your triumphant entry even as you returned. God, we ask, Lord, even right now, God, that you would wash us, Lord, from any mindsets of defeatism. God, even any place that we view ourselves from our own failures or our own shortcomings or weaknesses or even through the lens of regret, we break the power and spirit of regret. And God, we thank you that because of the cross, but also because of the resurrection, Lord, that you call us out of death and into life. So God, we willingly choose, Lord, to come out of agreement with every place of death in our lives. And we say, Father, bring us, Lord, into that place of life and life more abundantly. Of living in that conquering mentality and understanding. God, we ask, Lord, even now, God, that you would impregnate, God, each one of us with a greater measure of hope. God, that even as the resurrection speaks of hope. God, we just thank you for your loving kindness. And God, we rejoice today at your power to save and deliver and heal. We rejoice at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God, we ask, Lord, for greater understanding, greater experiential knowledge. That even as uh, Mary of Magdalene heard the angel declare... That he is not here, he is risen. That you are not in the grave, that death could not hold you, but you have risen. God, we just thank you for even a greater impartation of faith. Or for each one of your sons and daughters, we worship you today. We reverence what you've done and who you are. And we even specifically call every individual life into the fullness of life that you have made away the inheritance that you have for us. Yeah. <laughs> 
phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the longest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be at all Christian savior. I wonder if you know him today. He's the prize, strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the pride. He sympathizes and he saves. He's threatened and sustained. He's God and he dies. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He begins the people. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He rewards the age. He rewards